All right. Uh, turn to Genesis 12. Genesis chapter 12. We will let Andy, who's soon to be married, will let him read. We'll see if he reads different now that he's in here. <laughs> One verse, Genesis 12, verse 7. And Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. There he built an altar. One of uh, minister for a few minutes just about altar calls and this is one of those that you file away for uh, for ministry uh, one day one of the unique aspects of our fellowship has to do with altar calls and I don't know if you uh, understand this is that uh, the idea that every single service you come to there is going to be first of all an altar call or an appeal for salvation some of you if you've only been uh, saved in our church not every church does that and uh, they may have some churches have rare occasions where they have altar calls some churches will never have an altar call at all that's for salvation but then Beyond that, you understand that as part of our fellowship, there's a second aspect of an altar call, and that is we give an opportunity for believers. So the first appeal is for the unsaved. The second appeal is for uh, believers and allowing them to respond to the sermon. So it's very important. Remember what I said to you on many occasions. If you're going to be a disciple, you need to understand why we do what we do. That is crucial. And uh, it's important, one, because you're going to be challenged about it by religious people, but two, so that you can reproduce it effectively. It's hard to reproduce something you don't understand. So let's, let's consider this idea of altar calls for a moment. Let's, uh, first of all, lay a foundation, just a biblical understanding uh, of the altar. So the Bible is filled with the idea of the altar, and when you read the word altar, it literally means place of sacrifice. That's what the word means, is sacrifice or slaughter. And uh, so it's a place of sacrifice. This is incredibly widespread. 433 times in the Bible it talks about altars. If you understand biblically anything that's repeated, that means it's very, very important to God. We see men in the Bible that build, built altars. Noah, Abraham in the scripture that we're reading here, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, the kings. They all built altars and the Bible records that. The tabernacle, which was the temporary uh, uh, place of meeting with God, and that, that was the tent. And then uh, the temple, which was the permanent meeting place with God, the, the very center of the temple was the altar and everything revolved around that and you understand it was the altar that brought you into the presence uh, of God. The New Testament refers to this. Hebrews talking about we have something better. The altars of the Old Testament of course were physical and uh, Hebrews refers to this and says but we have an altar and it's something that is better. It's through uh, Jesus Christ. So Spiritual health 
is connected to altars. You read in the Old Testament, people who were doing well, when they were doing well in their relationship with God, what did they do? They built altars. Then you read about people who were weak spiritually. This is one of the marks you can study for yourself uh, about King Saul, who was uh, uh, a man who was a poor king. And what does the Bible say? Is that this was the first altar he had ever built. He had been king for years and never built an altar. He built an altar one time, never built another one again. Not an accident. No altar. Spiritual weakness. And so uh, uh, we have that understanding. So, it's important that you understand the purpose of an altar in the Old Testament. It had four purposes. Number one, it always was a physical location. In other words, as opposed to, uh, you know, I talked with God in the woods. You can talk with God in the woods, but it's not the same as an altar. It was a physical location. The Bible says he built an altar at Bethel or wherever it was that uh, each uh, different uh, places. Number two, the altar was where people responded to what God revealed to them. An altar was a response. In our uh, verse, are you still there, Andy? Read it again. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, so this is the Bible pattern. The Lord appeared. So an altar is always God speaks. The Lord appeared and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So God appears and reveals something about his will for Abraham's life. So what does Abraham do? He responds to what God reveals by building uh, an altar. So that is, uh, that. in other words, what Abraham is doing, or what anybody was doing when they built an altar, they were saying, I see what you have shown me, and I agree with it. That is, it's, it is important that, uh, that preaching is not merely... Yada, 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 yada. He said a lot of words. What's he doing? I don't know. He's talking about the Bible. Yeah, okay, let's go have pizza. I hear what God says, and now I am responding. I agree with that applies to me. That's what he was saying. Number three, the altar was where you met with God. The whole purpose of an altar, you're responding, but you literally are meeting with God. The temple especially was where this was seen. You came to the temple to meet with God. The Old Testament, thank God we don't have to do that every time we sin. You, uh, you know, you, you got mad at somebody in traffic. You had, you know, go get a pigeon, go get a goat. I got I got I sinned again. You had to go and meet with God. That was the purpose of uh, the altar. And fourthly, the altar was a place of sacrifice. That's what the word literally means. It means slaughter or sacrifice. In other words, you are saying something is going to die. And the, all four of those ideas, that gives you a basic understanding of the altar. Now, for us, when we talk about the altar, we are typically talking about the space at the front of the church, you know, between the stage and the, uh, and the pews. And in some places, the altar was, and we had for many years here, it was a wooden 
it was something made of wood in you know Catholic churches or other churches you understand it can be ornate or or different things but for our understanding it is we understand come to the altar is a place there's a part of it you're coming to the front uh, of the church and so as a part of our here's a big word liturgy what does liturgy mean it means the um, the order of service. The order of service. Excellent. This man's on it. That's exactly right. It is it is the order of service or the order of worship. You, we we do certain things as part of our liturgy. Is a sermon is preached, and then we invite people to come to the altar. Sinners can come to deal with their sin and get right with God. Believers can come, and for these uh, uh, for these purposes. Uh, this is where you can respond to what God has revealed. This is where you can meet with God in order to do business with Him. And this is where something can die. In other words, if God has shown you something negative in you, uh, that needs to die. Is anybody here you'd admit you've got something in you that needs to die? <laughs> okay. All right. So, this is, uh, this is what we do as, as uh, part of that. And all of those are built in. So that gives you a biblical foundation. What is an altar? Why do we do that? Why do we say, and come to the, what, what for? And there are many churches that don't do that. But there's a reason why we do what we do. Okay, that's the biblical uh, understanding. Okay, now let's talk then the, the purpose of this lesson, apart from giving you that understanding, let's, let's talk about contending for uh, the altar. So let's let's. Some of you here, not everybody, but uh, some of you here, you you either definitely feel called by God. You say, I, I want to preach, or some of you here, you say that is a possibility. I don't know if I'm called, but 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 maybe that's a possibility. So the purpose of what we're going to talk about now is, what if you were the pastor? What is the job of the pastor as far as contending for the altar? Let's, Let's talk about some practical thoughts. Practical thought number one. In new churches, in pioneering, you have to instruct people about the altar. Some of you have been raised in our church. You know what's going to happen in the service. It's, it's not a mystery to you. When the, when the pastor is like, it's not like you're freaked out like, what? We're having an offering? I've never seen this before. What's going on? You know what's going to go, what happen. You know, yeah, he's going to preach and then he's going to invite. Th that's known. Some of you don't appreciate the fact that a raw sinner who comes into our church, we have people who have never been to church in their life of any kind. Those are the kind we want them. We have people that they are former Catholics or you know other religions or something. So it's totally different, isn't it? Right? We don't wear dresses. Thank God. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you you got to understand this is that when you have new converts, you literally have to instruct. So some guys don't even think about this. It's like They've been in a church their whole life, and so they preach their first sermon and come to the altar. And it's like, no one's coming. But that's what I do. I preach and you come. Because they don't know. 
So that means you have to literally instruct. You have to do Bible study lessons. You have to preach sermons about the altar. You have to instruct people. You got to and and you know the nice thing generally in a in a in a small church is it's small enough. It's not like you know there may be someone. It's like yo Bob, this is what we do. You should come down here. Okay, come here. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm going to pray with you here. It's 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 small. It's family. So, but you have to literally. Uh, uh, in, in, instruct people about the altar. So you have to think about that. Why should you do that? Come to the altar, talk to God. And again, if there's only a handful of people, you could, as I said, you could literally invite, come down here, this is what you would do. Let's pray about this. Okay, so you teach them. You sit here, you talk to God, you do business with God. Okay, number two, here's the practical thought number two. In all churches, whether young or old, you must contend for a supernatural dimension at the altar. This is more, we said before, it is part of our liturgy, order of worship, but it is not a formality. Do not think that this is just a, yeah, all right, you know, we ticked the boxes, yeah, we did the singing thing, we did the praisey thing, we got the offering, we did the preaching, tick, all right, we're done, we did our liturgy. <coughs> The altar is supernatural. God meets with people at the altar. So, in preaching and in ministry, you should aim people to meet with God uh, at the altar. I have a conviction. That conviction came from my pastor who put it into me. Pastor Richard put it in. And that is... God can do more in a few minutes at the altar than I could do with a thousand sermons. God is people's answer. I am not people's answer. I can help them. I can show them the way to God. But my job is to help people touch God for themselves. This is actually an approach... Uh, uh, to uh, to ministry. So this means in you you do this in in numbers of different ways. This you have to preach and aim people and give them the understanding. That's that's a preaching requirement. That that what you are doing is you are aiming them at Jesus. You're not aiming them at yourself. We had many years ago. We had a guy that that pastored the Prescott Church for, for a short time uh, while Pastor Mitchell was away, his philosophy of ministry was different. He aimed people at himself. After every service, he counseled for an hour and a half, longer, because he was aiming, he thought he was the answer. So he aimed people at himself. Well, do the math. How, how's that going to work? I ask, I ask guys in, in pastor's seminars, if your church was five times as big as it is now, the way you currently approach your ministry, would it work five times as big? So when the church was, I don't know, four or five hundred, the guy he counseled for an hour and a half every day served. So if he had a church five times as big, so he's going to be there for, <laughs> be out of there at three in the morning. There's only two more guys to talk to the pastor. That's not going to work. That's not Pastor Mitchell's approach. Pastor Mitchell's approach is, your job is to touch God for yourself. 
That's, first of all, a philosophy. That's a belief. Our confidence is in God. <coughs> then, that means from time to time, you have to, you have to remind people of this. Human nature takes the most incredible supernatural things and can turn them into routine. Right? God killed Uzzah because Uzzah touched the ark. Part of what happened, it had been in his house for a long time. It, was, it had become furniture. Here's the, the holy presence of God. Oh, yeah. It's not, this is a holy thing. So, that means that Protestant Pentecostals can become, we, we say this, can become Catholic about their... In other words, this becomes now a Pentecostal genuflection. I come down, yeah, I do this thing, and, and in ten seconds you're, you're, you're up. Well, I don't, I don't think you've wrestled with your flesh in ten seconds, honestly. Now, a new convert, they, you know, they may not spend a lot of time at the altar. So, what you have to do is, periodically, you've got to remind people. You need to contend to touch God. Don't, this is not a routine. Yep, yeah, okay, God, you got me. All right, and I'm back to my seat. Spend some time. Talk to God. Do business with the issues of your soul. The practical benefit of that is that it cuts down on the amount of counseling. For a church our size, we actually do very little counseling. Not because we're against counseling or because we refuse to do counseling, but... When you are aiming people at the altar, when you are aiming people to have a relationship with God, when you're giving them the understanding that God is your answer, the pastor is not your answer, the practical result is people touch God so they don't need the pastor to help them through every little issue in life. They learn to contend and talk to God about that. That's health. You produce healthy people. Practical Thought number three, in older churches now, someday if you ever pastor an older church, you have to refresh people's understanding of the altar. As I said, human nature, it becomes routine. So, uh, so you have to preach and teach periodically and bring them back to an understanding of the altar. Let's look, one more thought. Let's talk about some practical thoughts for making the altar effective. An altar call. I'm talking, of course, about not the altar call for salvation, but the altar call for believers. The second part of, of our uh, altar call. So, <coughs> if you want an altar call to be effective, number one, don't re-preach your entire sermon. You ever seen that? The guy he preached? And generally guys who do this, they preach long anyway. So they've already preached long, and now they pull the altar call, and they're saying it all again. It's like, all right, just let us come to the altar, please. So, I would just suggest to you, if you have to say it again, you probably failed the first time. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. So, don't, don't re-preach your <laughs> Okay. Number two is, as a practical, sometimes help people to seal things at the altar. You see this. So, you notice that not every altar call is exactly alike. And that is deliberate. 
So, sometimes you come, you pray, we're singing, we have a time, allow you time to pray, and then we are dismissed and we go home. But not every time. Sometimes you'll see me do this, that, <coughs> that I will lead people in a prayer of agreement. I don't do that every time, but I do that sometimes. There is power in agreement. That there's something definite from this moment. Things are going to be different. From this, God is going to meet with us now. There's going to be a breakthrough. This curse is going to be broken. There's going to be a breakthrough in habits or uh, deliverance, provision, healing, whatever it, it, it might be. So, so sometimes you can do that. Third thing is make, make the altar a place of supernatural deliverance and encounter. There is something profound at the, at the altar. Pray for deliverance. I want to tell you something. You can, you can pray. There are, there are supernatural powers. The, life is more than just intellect. Yes, you need to think, and yes, you need to decide, and yet there are things that drive people. There are things that torment people. Pray for deliverance. So, sometimes you do that to, uh, personally. You can do that in agreement. Sometimes you can do that to, uh, uh, personally. You pray for healing. There's something about this at the altar. You can, sometimes it's connected to what you're preaching. Obviously, if, if you are preaching on healing, you would preach, you'd pray for healing. You can be preaching on issues of the heart, bitterness, broken heart, whatever, and then pray for healing because they are connected. It doesn't have to be connected. You can just simply, there is something supernatural about an altar, so pray for, um, uh, pray for uh, healing. Pray for breakthroughs. There are people, they've been struggling. They want, they want to be fruitful. So you're, you're going to pray for, God, let them be fruitful. There are people that are struggling. It's like a, 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 a curse is on their life of, of uh, uh, financially, every time they start to get ahead, they, that that needs to be broken. That can't continue in life. So pray for uh, breakthroughs of various kinds. Pray for habits. We do that from time to time. You're preaching, whatever you preach on. How many of you here? You you you're struggling with a habit. You you're still struggling with alcohol, tobacco, drugs. You know whatever it might be, pornography. Come down, and we're gonna we're gonna pray for that, and and let people be delivered. Uh, in an altar call, pray for money, pray for financial uh, issues. It, very, very profound. Uh, <coughs> Sharon Walter testified. I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, and she kind of wandered into other things. But, but she, what she said was very profound. I, I remember very clearly. I preached on broken hearts, and and I invited people to come and allow them to uh, pray. My wife remarked to me. About that, and then I did exactly what I said: is I led people in a prayer of agreement for God to heal broken hearts. That there's things that have happened, there's traumas or uh, events or problems, and your heart has been broken, and you have not been able to function uh, clearly. I, I remember that so clearly because uh, my wife said, my wife said that she was crying at her seat just looking at Sharon Walter because she was weeping at the altar, weeping and weeping so profoundly. And, and you heard her testimony uh, uh, last week, and she had come and told me this uh, uh, shortly after. She said, 
When we prayed at the altar, she says, I want to tell you, something changed. That, that lifted off of me. So that was supernatural. This is more than information. It was more than liturgy. That's what we do. She encountered God in a supernatural way. And you need to uh, understand that. Um, uh, so that, that, that would be, I, I, you know, we have a few evangelists that are here, or if you're ever going to be an evangelist. This is, uh, I often get uh, guys that, that ask me for their ideas about evangelists. One of the things, if you're going to evangelize, an evangelist needs to do something that the pastor normally doesn't do. There needs to be something supernatural. So, that can be the gifts of the Spirit, but if it's not the gifts of the Spirit, you must be contending for people to meet with God. And I would suggest an evangelist who only just preaches, pulls all their call, and then turns it to the pastor. I think that you failed in your ministry because inherent in evangelism is meant to be a supernatural dimension. So, I just throw that in for free. Fourth thought is have some variety at the altar. This is not a, uh, a spiritual uh, issue or a law requirement that we have. It's just practical. Human nature, if every service is exactly the same, at some point people are going to tune it out. So, in other words, if every service is just, I, you know, here's, there's the offering, there's the praise, there's the uh, sermon, there's the altar call, and then you go back home. They're going to, people are going to tune it out. So, mix it up. One time you let people pray by themselves. Another time you lead everyone in a mass prayer. Uh, <clears throat> another time you pray for specific needs in the, in the sermon uh, that, that you were preaching on. Another time has nothing to do with the sermon, but pray for uh, other things that, that are not mentioned in that Years ago, when I when I pastored in in South Africa, I had a I had lots and lots of revivals. We had, we had some incredible meetings of of uh, various kinds. Um, I had uh, Keith Sullivan, who's now evangelizing our church. He was pastoring in Chicopee, Massachusetts. He came and preached, and and uh, uh, you know back then his hair wasn't as gray, but you know Keith uh, wasn't. He definitely didn't. Uh, strike people as a you know kind of a uh, funky black person look like a white dentist you know from America. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was so interesting to me. I had I had black preachers come and they would do the singy thing and all that. But my people would talk about the revival of Keith Sullivan, and I was very interested. I, I don't know that Keith ministered in the gifts. He prayed for the sick, of course. I don't know that he ministered in the gifts. But it was very interesting. Is every single night. He had different things that he prayed for. He'd, he'd pray, and then it's like, you know, all right, we're going to pray. You, you are, some of you here, you're, uh, you're wanting God to help you in the salvation of your family. Or, or it'd be, some of you here, you're afraid to witness. Or It would just be something every night. My people talked for years about that guy and that revival. And so I was struck by that. So you know what he did is he helped people to meet with God. He prayed for personal needs. And I saw, you know what? People need a personal touch. There, there is something uh, uh, profound about a uh, personal touch. So, that you can, you can understand that if you become a, a pastor. So, you can mix it up between mass prayer and personally praying for people. And that, of course, depends on numbers. You understand, in our church, one of the things is I have to instruct 
evangelists, if they're here preaching or visiting preachers, if they're going to pray for healing, if they say, anybody here needs healing? <laughs> you know, they got 400 people and then now they're lost. It's like, what do I do with all these people? So, you know, that, that's a, a, a practical. Sometimes <coughs> in the altar, you give them a practical challenge about what they've just prayed about. You don't do this every time. You don't preach your whole sermon again. But there is something practical, right? You prayed for deliverance. You preach on witchcraft. Okay, now when you get home, some of you have things in your house that shouldn't be there. Right? You preached on pornography or, or uh, you know, things that uh, are hurting you. That's a practical. So now you've prayed for deliverance and you give a final challenge. When you go home, you need to obey God in what He told you to do. And that, that can apply in a lot of different, uh, different ways. Number five, never ever underestimate the power of a personal touch. This, this is a profound part of pastoring. If you are an aloof pastor, if people bother you, or if you are the holy man of God to where once I deliver the word from heaven, my job here is done. You are totally missing what people need. There is something profound about a personal touch. And, and often that is at the altar, if you'll, if you'll do that. People appreciate a personal touch. They need that. It doesn't have to take forever. Uh, it helps their faith. There, I, I would love to believe that every person will get a hold of the Bible and believe God for themselves. I had someone come uh, to me the other day. They're having uh, uh, problems in their eyes and just got an a unexpected uh, uh, problem that was discovered by the, by the eye doctor. And they said to me, uh, Pastor, I want you to pray because... Uh, I, I care how it's worded was was uh, God hears your prayers. Well, God hears their prayers as well. What they're saying is here in a crisis of life, this is going to help add to their faith. And that's that's valid. That's not wrong. So I point and preach, and you can have believe God. But there is something about people in crisis; they want a personal touch. This this is going to encourage their faith. All right, we'll pray about this together. They need that. They want the pastor to know I'm. I've got this thing, and, and it's, I'm freaked out about it. All right, man, we'll pray here, and I'm going to be praying for you. That is important to people. So uh, don't, uh, don't underestimate that. Uh, thirdly is you impart a spiritual dimension as headship. There, there is validity that a pastor, there are things that can be imparted in, in prayer. Fourthly, and this is a file it away for, for someday, in times of rebellion, there are, from time to time you have churches that will go through seasons of rebellion, I counsel people, uh, I counsel pastors, listen to me, if you're ever going through rebellion in the church, you need to lay hands on people. You need to pray for people personally. And I saw this, I, I, I took over a church uh, that uh, the foundations were, were funky and you know the, uh, the, we had a five-man council in a church of about 140 people or 120 people. Uh, one of which I don't even think was saved. Several of them didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. They hated everything. You know, this, this place was a time bomb. And believe me, it went off in my face. So, so we had splits. We had a whole group of people. They left, and the first one had a religious guy that had come in. made We had two major rebellions. And so uh, some of you can't appreciate this. It is supernatural, the things that it's just a 
funkiness. It's every service, man, it's like trying to swim through molasses and trying to get the presence of God and get people saved is very difficult. And so, of course, you understand what happens is people, they leave the church and then the pastor's the Antichrist. That's why I had to leave the church and blah, blah, blah. And, and so what happens is these are their friends. It was, it was a very young church and most of the older people all left the church. So these these kids who never had a dad, now they come in church and it's like they look up to the... And these people now are telling them the pastor's the Antichrist. So, uh, so they're coming to church. I mean, their brains are scrambled eggs, but it's spiritual. And so I learned something is I used to... They would have people talking in their ears and ultimately they have to make their own decision. They've got to make up your mind. Is the Bible true? Did God know what He's doing by saving you here? You've got to work that out for yourself. I can't choose that for you, but... I would lay hands on them. At the altar, I would make up reasons. It would have to do with the sermon. Or sometimes be, some of you here, you, you, you're just going through it. I'm going to pray for you. And I would lay hands on them. And I would pray. And what I would discover is that conf- you could see it during the service. You could see confusion on their mind. But when I would pray, it would lift. And it was like they could see things clearly. Now, that didn't solve all their problems in life. They had to make up their own mind, but what would happen is the confusion would lift so that they could see clear enough to make a right decision. That is a profound thing. That was in the altar. There were, there were battles that were fought in the altar. So, a lot of these things are things you just file away for the future, but they will be helpful for you someday. Okay, questions? Isaac. Um, so, I've never preached an altar call after a sermon, but like in, uh, in Bible studies... I've, I've gotten to, we do like a little altar call. So yesterday you were talking about not understanding what you're preaching. Is that maybe what you're talking about? Like maybe it's not clear to me if I'm re-preaching the whole thing again during altar call, if I'm going too long? <coughs> Probably. But also, it might not be an, an, that you don't, it's not clear. It might be that you're nervous. Right. In other words, well, part of it is when you when you first are starting out, is we're nervous about this. That's that's normal, right? I, I don't know whether they get it. So if I just say, uh, "All right, you want to pray?" <coughs> I'm nervous that no one's going to pray. So I'm going to make sure. So you know, point one we said, and so so I, maybe just it's nerves as well. So maybe just learning to sum it up. Is that so? What when you're when you guys do the altar call, you call for sinners, and then. Because you do talk about the sermon a little bit. But sentences, a couple of sentences. Okay. A couple of sentences. So there, there, is, a, there is something that... Um, uh, I, I have had guys from other churches that they, they say in Prescott, you, um, you have uh, economy of time. We, we really do get to the point. Right? If we have an evangelist or revival, that guy is going to have the service probably at 10 to 8 because that's an economy of time. We don't, we, don't, I don't, we don't have a long offering. We don't have uh, special music. We don't have dancing bears. We don't, there's nothing we can <laughs> get to the point. We preach because we understand clarity. We preach 10 to, Pastor Mitchell and I average 35 minutes. I can preach less. Rarely do I ever preach longer. Economy of time. Altar calls like that. I don't need to re-preach the whole thing. There's no point in it. So, a couple of sentences, remind them, boom, and we're down to it. Anthony. Um, now, um, I have... So, 
you being a pastor, you're given this by God. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this is a calling of yours. So <coughs> it's fair enough to say that you're a gatekeeper to the altar, right? And you have to you have to have dominion over the people in the church. I mean, this is what you're given. So how much of what you do when you're a pastor is psychology to to, to the people? I mean, to understand how people work and I mean, in your in your sermons, do you use psychology to to, to touch the masses of people? You, you understand yeah, what I'm saying, and not in well, a bad way. In a good no, way. no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. One of the keys is that my ties are all strategic. Looking. <laughs> 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 there, there has to be control. So, well, I, I, I don't. I, I'm sure it would. You could say that that there are things involved. There are things that are involved that are actually just common sense of people skills, okay. right? So th- this is this is common sense. So people skills, you could say, is is psychology. If, if I come, this is this is when I uh, when I when I have a conflict, I have to deal with something. They're doing something that is stupid and, and harmful to the church. I don't want them to do it. Mm-hmm. So I could approach that two ways. I could say, what kind of moron would do a stupid thing like, okay, what kind of reaction do you think is I'm going to get from that that's person? Not a good, that's not a good reaction. Okay, so if I say, look, I need you to help me with something. I know that you didn't mean to do this, but you know when you said to that lady that she's fat and ugly? Um, <laughs> you know, now she doesn't want to come to church, and I know you didn't mean, but you understand that that's, that's affected their salvation. Okay. I, at the end of the day, I don't want you to call somebody fat and ugly anymore. Okay. It's just an approach. So Back that I suppose you could say that's psychology, but that's more common sense. That's people skills. So there are elements in approaching people. We were talking uh, yesterday. Oh, oh, you weren't here at breakfast yesterday. But, but under, I understand our church is... Uh, uh, our church, uh, from the time Pastor Mitchell came, is is uh, now over 46 years old. So, we have people who have been around a long time, uh, many of which have, they have m- made bad decisions. So, if, if my preaching, I understand that, that people have made bad decisions. So, if my preaching is, you know, you are not make bad decisions, and if you make bad decisions, it's going to curse your life and every. Uh, everything like that, it's probably going to heap condemnation and they're not going to want to try. But if I understand that about people, I believe that people's answer is who God is. I lift up. And if you've made mistakes, God can help you. So I I suppose that is psychology. That's understanding people. Yeah. Understanding what you're dealing with. Yeah. So it is important to understand people. That's common sense. But that is social awareness and social skills. Yes. Guys who have no social skills, then they struggle in ministry. And part of that is an awareness. What kind of reaction are you are you getting from people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Ken? When uh, you're talking about getting people to agree at the altar afterward, is that something when you're writing a sermon that you realize, you know, I'm going to need to do this in this particular sermon? Or is that something that, you know, as you're preaching or doing the altar call, you realize, you know, I need to get these people to pray and agree? Well, it, it can be both. 
I have seen, you know, I don't write out. I, I have seen um, uh, other guys' sermons that they have at the end of their sermon. They have written out what they're going to say in the altar. You know, I don't, I don't, I've, I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't think I've got to write it down. But um, So uh, there is an element where, yeah, if I'm preaching on broken hearts, I, I know I'm going to preach. I'm going to pray for people with broken hearts. But there also is an element, is when I'm praying before the sermon, um, I have I have in my Bible a piece of paper tucked into the cover, and the purpose of that, if God speaks to me of something to pray for or something to do, and I will write it down. If God speaks to me as far as a gift of the Spirit, supernaturally, uh, supernatural knowledge about a sickness or or a problem, I'll write it down. So that is, so it's both. It's common sense. There are things, of course, you're going to pray for because of what you preached, and then there is room for God could speak to me, or it would occur to me in the sermon that I, I need to. Right? You mentioned um, making the altar a place of supernatural deliverance in uh, praying. Involved uh, <coughs> of praying beforehand, like laying hands on the altar, contending for the Spirit uh, in advance. Well, I mean, it could be. You know, literally praying at the altar. Uh, yeah, I mean that could be. I mean, I, so I am in my personal prayer. Uh, again, we were talking about this yesterday. You were there at breakfast. That God is people's answer. I am not the Messiah, so I'm pointing people to God. So uh, yes, yeah, so I'm I, in my prayer. I'm doing that. Sometimes I do pray. Yes, I pray through the building. Sometimes when no one's here, I'm praying at the building and, and I'm asking. Because uh, I, I, I believe God is the answer. So I'm praying at the altar. There are people I know, they're struggling in certain things that, that I may go lay hands on your seat because I know what you're going through. And that may be individual. God, do you need to help them when they come? And uh, so that's why if you ever move seats, it's your... <laughs> Someone else, I have no idea why I'm so... I've been in churches where uh, when the altar call starts, uh, every musician in the worship team goes up, including the bass player and everyone. Yeah. And I've noticed that we never do that in our, in our church. We usually have that. At most, one keyboardist, one somebody, one musician to get the altar call going. I was wondering, is that by design or is that a non-issue? So, what do you think would be the reason why we don't have every musician come up? So that the other twenty can pray at the altar. Exactly. <laughs> it's simple. <laughs> so, so that's just a practical to me. You know, guys think that that the music creates the. Uh, it is again, it's a philosophy. There are guys they believe the music is what is causing people to, to encounter God. I don't believe that. I believe that it's the person's responsibility, and I lead them. So that's a very practical. If I have 20 musicians that are involved in the in the song service, that means probably 19 of them are missing out on touching God. Mm-hmm. Right. That <coughs> triggers a question too, because yesterday we were looking at Elisha, and there's a there's a scripture uh, in in between some of those miracles there where uh, he has people come to him and talk to him. And Elisha prophesies and, and ministers many, many times without music. So it's obvious that music is not the deciding factor there. But there is one por- portion. is the, the guy who says, I wouldn't even consider you if it wasn't for the king of... Uh, yeah. 
so I, you know, I, again, I don't have an argument with with people. I don't, I don't think that it's like they're violating God if they choose to have all the musicians. They're into it, and and again, there may be cultural issues that I don't have a problem with. Right. Is that you may have people that they really like to sing. I have heard guys they um, they they like to end, especially if it was something victorious. Uh, then they'll end it on a on a happy victory song. So I don't have an argument with that. I'm, but but the practical is you've got a lot of people who are missing out on touching God for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that would be it. what were you going to say, Brian? Yeah, yeah, your tie triggered a question as. Um, <laughs> um, years ago, and I've never, I've never had this um, clarified in my own thinking. Pastor Mitchell made a statement years ago: preaching that cannot be experienced is fatal. And yeah. I never asked it. Not, not preaching that you, cannot be experienced is fatal. Fatal. Or, or, har- yeah, or, or harmful or okay. something, but. I never clarified that. That never, when you're doing this lesson, I'm going. That thing came back to my thinking again. Is that what he's talking yeah. about? Is the yeah. Yeah. If you don't ever personalize it, then it's just simply information. I would say, if if you are not that, that's the whole key. Is what does this have to do with me? What is God speaking with to you? So if it's just, yep, I heard some various religious words on religious subjects. Then it's a it's a failure. You have to experience it in some way. So that would be you have to personalize it. That has to do with me. I agree with it or whatever. Or you have to encounter God. Like go back to Sharon Walter. Sharon Walter needed her broken heart to be healed. So if if I just simply said, folks, uh, y'all got broken hearts. God can heal your heart. There's a couple scriptures. It's biblically. It's all true. Bow your heads, let's go home. Then she would still be functioning with something broken inside. So obviously there can be things that's that's in a helpful sense. Obviously, some of the things we're dealing with at the altar are fatal. We're dealing with pride and, and greed and you know all kinds of funkiness in, inside of us that, that can be fatal if you don't deal with those things. That's why the, the altar is a place of sacrifice. If if you find yourself in a pioneer church counseling a lot because you said you guys don't do that much counseling here what should you do then contend for god to move through your sermons well yeah but you know i mean number one for me new convert problems are actually refreshing Uh, in other words so i get new convert problems of of counseling uh that there, there, it's it's not a it's not a drama. It doesn't it doesn't involve you know major conflicts between warring families in the church. It doesn't. It's it's like Pastor today, man. My boss and I, you know, and I I gave my boss the finger. It's like okay, let's pray. God help us not give the boss the finger. No, I mean it's like it, it's it's refreshing. You know what I mean? It's it's. it's yeah, I'm praying for a new comrade, and they, you know they're involved. They've had involvement in witchcraft. It's like you know things are moving in my house. You know, it's it's it's, it's new converse stuff. So that's different. They'll work those things through uh, as is necessary. Just a simple rule of thumb is, I don't want people to become dependent on me. You get people that it's clear what they want. Some of the counseling is, I get people who they don't want to make decisions in life. They come to me, so I will make their decision for them, which I will refuse to do. Pastor, I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? Have you talked to God? That's my challenge to them. Because I don't want to run your life. Again, do the math. 
How could I run all of your lives? There's not enough hours in the day. That would be bad pastoring. My job is to put you in touch with God. So, if I get people that they're just of that personality or, or whatever, then I start to, you know, you, you, you get that. You get, you get to uh, uh, needy women that, that they want you to be the husband that their husband is not. So, in that case, I start being short with them. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. No. Yes. No. Okay. Go away. That's it. Because <laughs> I don't want them to start going, you know, I don't want them to get their emotional fix from me. I'm not their husband. So that's that's an issue for another day. Pastor, so, <coughs> um, just thinking about like pioneering and stuff. So when you're preaching and you're talking about a personal touch at the altar, I mean, is there times when you're leading people in prayer or just praying while you're up there? I mean, that God helps you because you're not answering the altar call. I mean, so is there times that God really can can speak to you and help you as the pastor? Well, yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, theoretically you could, but obviously in as a, as a pastor, I don't know if you appreciate how many things are going through the pastor's brain at one time. In in any given service, there you are. You're looking at this guy. He comes in and he looks like a child molester. And and that guy is uh, how how did that guy wind up with a new convert uh, over there? And and uh, someone's missing. And and uh, is my sermon? Did I do enough? And and uh, you know there, there there's a, a jillion things going through your head at the same time. So. Um, you know, so part of it is for pastors. You need to; these are things that you need to have time alone with God. So I, I suppose theoretically, I could be praying for other people. God could be helping me because there is power and agreement. But often that's a personal requirement, and then that's why we have conference for pastors to to so they can be preached to, and that's why we have pastors seminars so they can be ministered on a different level. So, I mean, those are, but it's personal, so I'd say more, you got to do that. Would you have a different approach on preaching an altar call after a sermon and then, and then versus like an outreach or the yeah. 180? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so, I, I would assume then that um, um, Isaac's outreach on the weekend, I would, I would assume that after he pulled the altar call for salvation, he did not invite Christians to come and talk to God right in front of the barbecue, right? <laughs> no, so that's different, yes. You have to be sensitive to where you're at and what you're doing. So you, you do adapt. So if you're pioneering a church and <coughs> people who are going through crisis come to you and they're constantly trying to you know, talk to you, get your advice and all this stuff, uh, is this smart to like maybe in the next week or the next month preach a sermon that would help them to be able to deal with it at the altar? Or would you try to avoid preaching on the issue that they're going through? Yeah, I don't. Number one, I do not. Uh, reactive preaching is bad preaching. Okay, so I don't. I don't preach reactively. In other words, if you come to me and you say, Pastor, there's gossip in the church, you're not going to hear a sermon the next service on gossip. That's poor preaching. Every every little thing because and then there's people do the same things over and over again. So what do you do? React every week to, you know, that, that's bad preaching. What gives power is, I, you know, for me, ninety percent of my sermons come from my Bible reading. So I'm reading in the Bible. If you you know you if you saw uh, you heard a few sermons in a row from Second Kings. Or from First Kings. That was because that's where I was reading. Right? So, 
part of that, that gives me confidence. I do not preach on people's problems. Because one, it, it's poor preaching, because you're not giving them the whole counsel of God. Two, is that you, uh, you unnecessarily offend people. Right? That, would, that, that wouldn't be helpful for, for to do that. Like, wait, wait a minute, I just talked to you about that, and now you're talking about my sermon. So, uh, but then there, of course, there's, there, there are things that apply. So I have confidence if someone ever said, hey, man, my, hey, listen, I did that sermon. I prepared that sermon a week ago. Okay, so and there there are times where I've had people I'm counseling before service and I've even had to say I'm preaching on this tonight just so you know <laughs> I didn't change my sermon because what you're talking about you're going to hear about this you know so uh, that's that's true but preaching is supernatural God knows he's he's smarter than I am and that's why I I preach sermon series where where someone only ever came uh, you know uh, every three weeks. And every time they walked in the door, the sermon was exactly for them. Why? Because God's smarter than I am. I planned out the sermon series four months ago. It's, it's, it's preaching supernatural. So I, preaching reactively is not how you preach. You preach the whole counsel of God. You've got to help people. Just a practical question as far as pioneering, uh, like Stephen, uh, for example, you've got new converts or people that have never that familiar with church, like you were saying. Do you do you always lead them a prayer? Do you have them repeat back? I mean, how do you? Obviously, you probably wouldn't sit down with each one of them and teach them how to pray at the altar. So, generally, would you your altar <coughs> for the first ten or however many services it takes just be repeat after me, or I challenge you and let's pray about this, or how, how would you deal with that as far as just? Well, that depends on are we talking in the first you know couple of weeks. You know, one of the things that happens is you you establish a, a culture to where it becomes clear, right? It's clear. If someone has never been to our church, they see people go to the altar at the front. It's like, oh, is that what we do? Why do we do that? And someone will tell them. So it's not so much the pastor has to tell them. Uh, every time they, they begin to learn that. Or as God gives revelation, they begin to... Yes. Someone who's genuinely saved wants to meet with God. That's an evidence of salvation. That's not how you get saved. Right? It's, it's not, I am more saved because I go to the altar more. You even want to go to the altar because you are saved. That's evidence of a work that God is doing on the inside. So in the beginning, yeah. But then once you, you establish a pattern, then other pe- it becomes easier for other people to uh, follow along. Pastor, I remember going to a small church and that pastor was really small. He used, when he called the altar coach, he, in the altar, he knelt down. Is that right, you know, for, as a pioneer pastor maybe, to do that and then after you see, okay, they got it, then maybe stop that like an example, to kneel down and they can see that? Because I remember seeing that, I had no clue, you know, but it was kind of different, you know, what we do, but it was a small church and he was doing it and then he got up and finish up. I don't know if it was as an, as an example for new people or I don't know, is, is that right or how? <laughs> you know, again, it's, it's not It's not that it's wrong. To me, it would seem a little odd, uh-huh. but <coughs> if he's doing it to help people to understand, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I suppose that would be okay. But you can personally instruct, especially when a church is very small. The church is, you know, when I first pioneered, everybody fit in my house. Right? It, it, when people were missing from church, it was clearly evident. <laughs> it's like, hey, the chair's not filled. 
So it, it's uh, it, it's very easy. So you can you can deal personally. It's 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 more casual, and and that that kind of is 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 really. I see guys that they 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 speak very stiff and formal when they're pioneering. There's only three people in the audience that they're speaking. But you know, we are glad that you are here today. <laughs> Lighten up, man. <laughs> You can take all these things out for a hot dog. <laughs> so you can, it's very informal. As the church grows, you can get more formal. Obviously, pastoring and pioneering or in a larger church, you're believing for conversions and deliverance at the altar. But say, as a disciple, if you're preaching altar calls and any outreach or um, 180, is it valid to, maybe you're seeing resistance, believing God, I want to see people saved. Oh, yeah. And, and even... Just contending for that if you see resistance. Absolutely, and that's sometimes uh, someone asked the question about praying in the altar. Adam asked it before. Part of my praying in the altar is sometimes when there is resistance, right? So what is it, Pastor Greg says? That is unacceptable. I'm not putting up with that. So uh, it, that may be that uh, you know that's why I've had some of you come. I'm doing that for your. Education. What do we do when we're not getting people saved in the altar calls? We go to the altar and we take dominion because we're going to rule here. That, that's biblical. What, I, what do I do when, uh, you know, part of when I lay hands on people's seat, part of that is knowing their need, asking God to help them in there. But sometimes we got people who are funky. They're, they're making it clear they're not flowing with the church and, and they... They've got a funky spirit and they're trying to put something on the church. So when I'm praying for their seat, I'm not praying blessing. I'm taking dominion over whatever their flavor of funkiness is. Uh, so the key is don't be funky. Okay? Write that down. Write that down. Go ahead. I'm working on the funkiness. Is biblical uh, dynamics you're talking about with a physical location where God can meet with you and stuff? Uh, we hear the expression "build an altar." He built an altar there, this random place he he was at. Uh, does that mean that we can establish all these same dynamics at a at another location? There's a there's a place you know I, I pray in my house. Establish yeah, those altar yeah, sure, dynamics there or somewhere else. So, uh, altars where you meet with God. But in our church, we of course have an altar. And that needs but 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 that should not be the only altar that's in your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. In your home, you know, in your car, you know. I've had powerful meetings with God in my car, on airplanes, you know, different places. God's met with me. <coughs> so you can that. That's the whole idea of uh, of uh, New Testament priesthood is you can meet with God on your own. But we're talking about in church. One more. One other question. Um, in the past, you've, st- you've mentioned that periodically you'll kind of go back and retouch on certain subjects, whether it's tithing or yep. pledges or whatnot. Would you say you should do the same thing um, with just typical personal personality type traits or personal problems and just constantly just keep refreshing people's minds? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's why a good pastor keeps records. I have a record of every sermon I've ever preached. Well, you got like a list and then a check mark and a date or... Uh, well, all my sermons are. I file my sermon is is currently the file is 2016. So I I know I can go 
in a, in a glance and I can look at what have I preached in 2016. And I can click by date, by title. So by date, I know exactly when I preached each sermon. Yeah, so you keep records. I have a file, conference <coughs> sermons, go in conference sermon file. This discipleship goes in, and what is this? To me, this is a pioneering practical. So under discipleship, under sermons, I have a folder called discipleships. Under discipleships, I have multiple. I have character, discipleship, supernatural, pastoral. This one is a pioneering practical. So I've filed it away there. So I'm, yeah, every pastor keeps record of what he did. All right. I said that was the last I one. Know, I I'd be a liar. Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So, uh, <laughs> kind of going off what Eli said, if, if we go out and we preach after 180 and we see a lot of resistance in the street, you know, people, you know, people clowning or just like, you know, just there's a whole bunch of different things, you know, seeing a bunch of crazy things. But if you see that resistance in the streets, do you think one could build an altar standing on a on, on a bench on the corner and, and ask the lost souls to come up and pray? Or Well, you know, it doesn't have to be the bench. You know, right. you, you, you can you can pray with people personally where they're at. That's that's valid. So obviously, what we're talking about here is specific mm-hmm. to the church. Right. We understand you can meet with God anywhere for salvation. You can meet with God. And, you know, the thief on the cross. Right? Jesus didn't say, all right, meet me at the bench. <laughs> okay? So you've got to think through practically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can pray for salvation anywhere. So it doesn't have to be in a crowd. You... So we do on outreach, yeah. The people are getting saved and touched everywhere. Sometimes you can get them to the front. Sometimes they're resistant. You know, anywhere is valid. But we're talking about in church. All right, man. I've got to charge you for that one. That <laughs> hey, tremendous, man. Very, very, very good. Very good stuff.